0: Good morning abundant life family. It is good to see you. Good to see you too. <laughs> Jesus said, "If you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Tomorrow as a nation we celebrate our national birthday, the 4th of July. And every year we know this is a big celebration where uh, we come together, we get the day off of work, we uh, go to picnics and barbecues and uh, fireworks shows and the whole nine and we celebrate what will be tomorrow the 240th birthday of uh, our nation and, uh, and our independence from British rule. But 2,000 years ago, we got a different kind of independence, far greater than a national birthday. There's so many things that Jesus set us free from. And today I want to talk about the truth about Satan, the truth about the devil and his demons and what we can learn from Scripture. There are many Christians today who have a fear of the devil. They're scared of him. Uh, they're paranoid about what the devil might do in their life. And, uh, and for every bad thing they, that happens uh, in their lives, they attributed it to the devil. They have allowed him to have power over their lives, and you see it manifested in areas of a person's life, such as, uh, in marriage, where a husband and, and wife are arguing with one another. Uh, in homes, on the jobs, in our personal lives. Why is this? It's because we don't know the truth about the devil. There are many sermons preached on topics like prayer, the Holy Spirit, discipleship, grace, and faith, but not many sermons that talk about Satan. Today, I want us to look at Scripture, several passages of Scripture, so that we can know the truth about the devil. And I want to start by looking at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Paul writes, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, there's several truths that we can learn from these three verses. The first is Paul says that uh, in verse 13, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. So the first thing that we can know is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven of all of our sins, past, present and future. And we're all familiar with this as a truth. Number two, he says in verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So the second truth that we can learn is through Jesus' death, he canceled out what Paul says is the certificate of debt. This certificate of debt is the law. And although the law is holy, he says it was hostile towards us. The way to think of that is to think of the uh, speed limit, for example. If you're going down the freeway, Many of us have a lead foot, and so when we're on the freeway, we like to gun it and get down the freeway as quickly as we can. But when we see a speed limit that says 55 or 65 or in some places 70, that speed limit, that speed sign is hostile towards us because we would rather go much faster, but we know that there's a law that says we can only go but this fast. And that's the way the law was uh, back under the Old Testament. The law came to show us our sin. And in a sense, it was hostile towards us. But this passage says that Jesus, when he was nailed on the cross, he also nailed this certificate of debt. And in addition to the law, we also know to be true, uh, Jesus took on all of our sin debt, all of our sin debt, all of humanity's sin debt. And that's a huge, enormous amount of debt that Jesus took on. Because we came into this world shaping in sin, the Bible says that we were indebted to the Lord uh, because of our sins. Now, back in January of this year, I bought uh, myself a used car and I spent a few thousand dollars to purchase this car. And it's going to take me four years to pay for this car. Uh, I don't have uh, the, uh, the money to pay for this car right up front. I need the next four years uh, with payments over the next, uh, whatever that number is, 48 months to pay for this car. The debt that we have in terms of our sin debt is so much greater than that. And we could never pay for it. We could never pay that debt off. If you could quantify our sin debt, let's just say this is not a true accurate number, but let's just say that we owed God a hundred million dollars worth uh, because of our sin debt to him. There's no way that we could pay that off. It'll take me four years just to pay off a few thousand dollars for a car. How in the world could I ever pay for all of the sins that I've committed past, present and future? But on the cross, Jesus took on all of that debt, not just for me, not just for you. He took it on for all of the sins of the world, the Bible says. He took it on himself. And so again, these are truths that we're all familiar with. But look at verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through the cross. Now, how familiar are we with this verse that Jesus, in addition to all the things that we just talked about, he disarmed the rulers and the powers uh, the rulers and the authorities, making a public display of them. Think of it this way. When you see someone publicly being arrested and they have a knife or a gun, what's the first thing that that arresting officer will do? He will disarm that person. He will ask the person to drop their weapon. And as he gets closer to the suspect, he will even kick the weapon far away to make sure that the suspect can't get a hold of that weapon. Why? Because the officer knows that as long as this person has a weapon in his hand, he's a threat. He's a danger to me. But if I can remove the weapon, if I can disarm this person, he can no longer hurt me. And the, and the same is true spiritually for us. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, having made a public uh, display of his victory over him, he disarmed uh, Satan and all of his demons so that they can't have power over us. But why is it that so many Christians today live as if the devil has power over them? We give him too much credit for the things that happen negatively in our lives. So let's take a look at um, another verse of Scripture found in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, Paul, uh, John writes, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So again, this is a truth that we're all familiar with. Jesus came in order to take away our sins. But if you jump down three more verses to verse eight, look at what else John writes. He says, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Not only did Jesus come to take away sin, John wrote, but he also came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, how familiar are we with that truth, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil? One of the primary works of the devil is the power of sin over people's lives. But through the Holy Spirit living in us, we now have a power that didn't exist prior to Jesus Christ. We have the power to overcome sin in our lives. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can overcome sins like gossip, pornography, seeking the honor of men, uh, the love of money, anger, lust, lying. It goes on and on and on. We have the power now through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to overcome these sins. But that wasn't true under the old covenant. You remember when David saw Bathsheba bathing, he had no power to overcome the lust that was in his heart and he fell into sin. But you and I today are blessed to have the power of the Holy Spirit and a promise that you find in Romans chapter 6, verse 14 that says, sin shall not be master over you For you are you are not under the law, but under grace. We are no longer under the law, brothers and sisters. We are under grace. The law came through Moses, the Bible says, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And so the works of the devil has been destroyed and we have nothing to fear. He's a defeated enemy. Let's look at Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter 2, for another truth. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him Who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. So not only did Jesus bring about freedom from our sins, forgiveness for our sins, not only did he destroy the works of the devil, it says here that he rendered the devil powerless. We've already talked about that. But number two, he also. Uh, takes away our fear of death. He took away the fear of death. At the top of the list of fears that people have, people fear all sorts of things. And at the top of that list for most people is the fear of death. But for you and I as brothers and sisters who are walking with Jesus, we don't have to fear death any longer. I remember as a boy, I used to be afraid of death. I wouldn't think much about death because it was a it was a scary thought to think that at a certain point uh, my life would come to an end and that's it I had no sense of of what would happen after life and that was scary to me but to those of us who are Christians to those of us who have repented of our old life of sin who trusted Jesus to be saved we're walking by the spirit we're judging ourselves guess what we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.21. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death for the Christian is the greatest promotion that a person could ever have. All of us love promotions. We love to be promoted from grade to, ber- to grade when we're in school. We, lo- we love to be promoted on the job. Uh, a promotion typically means a, a higher salary and a, and a bigger uh, title and certain other perks. We love promotion, but death for us is the greatest promotion that there is because when we leave this place, it only gets better because we come into the presence of God. But it is Satan who puts fear in the hearts of people, and we see it every day in our lives. When we look at social media and the news, we see nothing but fear being propagated, the fear of uh, terrorism, the fear of losing our jobs, the fear of health. Uh, There's so many things that uh, we fear. But Jesus, remember when Jesus showed up when he was here on the earth, what was the first thing that he would often say to people? Fear not. We need to hear that this morning, brothers and sisters. When we're tempted to be fearful about our circumstances, we need to hear the words of Jesus. Fear not. Fear not. So if we go to work tomorrow and we're told by our boss that you're going to lose your job in two weeks, don't give in to fear. Be people of faith and hear what Jesus says. Fear not. If you have a doctor's appointment later this week and to your surprise, you went in for one procedure, but you found out something far worse going on in your body. Don't give in to fear. Hear Jesus saying, fear not. Fear not. We want to replace the things that would typically bring us into fear with faith and be people of faith. Jesus said in Matthew 28 that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a comforting word for us today. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And what that simply means is is Satan has been defeated. Now, there are many things that Satan tries to do in our lives. He's a, um, he's a spirit who tries to disrupt God's plan for our lives. He has various uh, schemes and plans and techniques. He likes to set traps uh, for us. But we can know that because we're walking with Jesus, that whatever Satan may try to do, he can never disrupt God's Plan and purpose for our lives. And for an example, take a look at First Thessalonians chapter two. In First Thessalonians chapter two. Verse eighteen. Paul says, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. So Satan hindered Paul from going to visit the church at Thessalonica that he planted some time ago. But God had a plan and a purpose that would not be overcome by Satan. So look at what happens uh, in the first verse of chapter three of first Thessalonians. He says, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone in verse two. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So Paul couldn't go because we don't know what Satan did, but Satan somehow kept Paul from visiting uh, this church but that's okay. The Lord simply sent Timothy to go and visit this church and God's purposes prevailed. Timothy went to the church and he strengthened and encouraged them as to their faith. And so there are things that, uh, the devil will try to do, but he cannot prevail in terms of what God seeks to accomplish, uh, in our lives. But there's, there are things that we can do when Satan tries to Uh, trip us up. The first thing that we find that we can do in response to his attacks is listed in James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, James says, verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, there's so many believers who are living in fear of the devil. But Paul says, if we resist him, guess what? Satan has to flee from us. He has to run from us. So who's scared? It's the devil that's scared. He has to run from us as we resist whatever he seeks to accomplish according to his will in our lives. For another example, look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says in verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So here's what else we can do. In addition to resisting the devil, we can put on the full armor of God in order to be able to resist the schemes of the devil. We can put on his armor. We can take on the, the, um, your loins, uh, verse 14, uh, girded with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, your feet shotted with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, faith is extinguishing the flaming arrows, putting on the helmet of salvation with prayer and petition. These are the things that we can do when Satan comes uh, against us in order to be able to stand firm. And Paul says it over and over again, stand firm. And as we resist Satan and his attacks against us, you know what happens? We become stronger. We become stronger. You know, when we go to the gym and we work out with any resistance bearing uh, exercise or weight, The result is that we get stronger and stronger and we increase the resistance more and more to build up our muscles and to build up our endurance. So what Satan meant for harm, as we resist him, God uses it for our own good and we become stronger and stronger to face whatever he throws our way. Now, there are things that we can do as believers to give Satan an opportunity and an advantage in our lives. Uh, Several weeks ago, I went to a friend's house to watch uh, the Warriors play. And uh, he has two dogs and he let those dogs out of the house uh, because we came over uh, to watch the game. And so the dogs were out in the backyard. And a few minutes later, he went to another part of the house and the dogs were back in the house. And I chuckled at that. Because although he had sent the dogs outside and closed one door, he left another door into the house open and the dogs came right back in and took advantage of that open door. And the same is true for us as believers. We can close one door and think we're all protected and safe, but we can leave other doors of our lives open and allow Satan to have an influence in us. And so let's take a look at two examples. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter two. Now the context here is in his first letter, Paul had to address a number of uh, circumstances that uh, this church was dealing with. One of the more severe issues that he had to speak to was this issue of one of the brothers in that church having a relationship with his stepmother You'll read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul was deeply grieved to hear about what was going on and the church's lack of response to this situation. And so Paul told the church to cast this brother out of the church. Remove him from among yourselves, uh, he says. And then this is what he says in response to uh, the action that they took. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. For this end also... I wrote so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, the test that Paul put before these Corinthians was whether or not they would be obedient uh, to his command to cast this brother away from them. And they were. They followed his instruction and they removed him from the church uh, for a season so that uh, Satan could deal with him and deal with his flesh. In verse 10, Paul goes on to say, But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So the first thing that we can do to allow that back door for Satan to come into our lives is to hold people in unforgiveness. And this is so important, so important that when people do things to harm us, immediately we have to forgive those persons. No matter what the offense is. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. These were Jesus words. He said, if you forgive others For their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. It couldn't be any more clearer than that. If we forgive others, our father will forgive us. But if we hold just one person in unforgiveness, guess what that means? We go to hell. That's what it means. Plain and simple. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 for another example. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 26 of Ephesians 4. Paul writes, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So Jesus says, um, or Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We need to set things right uh, with people that we may become angry with. Uh, because if we don't, we leave that back door open and Satan has an opportunity to come right in. And the result, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about anger being one of the sins that could lead us to a fiery hell, he says. Very serious words spoken by Jesus. And these are the opportunities that uh, Satan can have in our lives Um through our own actions. And so what do these two opportunities, what do these two examples speak of? They speak of living for our self-will, living for the flesh, which Jesus uh, did not live by. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called, according to Luke chapter 9, verse 23, to die to self. Every single day, we must deny ourselves take up our cross and follow Jesus. And so in those times where people do things that harm us and the flesh wants to hold them in unforgiveness, we have to die to ourselves. We have to humble ourselves and say, no, I can't hold this person in unforgiveness. I have to forgive them. When people do things that uh, really anger us, we have to set things right with that person. We have to, Uh, Even if we can't have interaction with that person, uh, we have to get rid of that anger. Because if we don't, then we leave ourselves open to what uh, Satan wants to do, which is to destroy our lives. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So we're called to walk by the spirit. And the only way that we can walk by the Spirit is to crucify the flesh. And that was Paul's testimony. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, Galatians 2.20, but Christ lives in me. So if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we have to crucify the flesh. And the result is that we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so I want to conclude by looking at a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 50. 1 Corinthians 15, I'll start at verse 50 so that we can get context. Paul writes, now I say this brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perish inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54. But when this perishable will put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. We get victory through Jesus Christ. That passage says that the sting of death is sin. But guess what? Jesus took that punishment on himself. He took on our punishment for sin so that we don't have to endure that punishment. The passage goes on to say that the power of sin is the law. But we saw earlier that Jesus nailed the law to the cross with him. So he took care of that. And the result is that through Jesus, we now have the victory. Because of Jesus, the certificate of debt has been canceled. Because of Jesus, our sin debt has been taken care of. Because of Jesus, he stripped the devil of all of his power. Because of Jesus, he destroyed the works of the devil. Because of Jesus, he takes away all of our fear with regard to death. Jesus did this all for us, brothers and sisters. And the result is that we have victory, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen.